welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast. I'm your host, Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady. Edible Alpha is a curated learning community whose goal is to accelerate the dissemination of the best practices for creating profitable food companies. This starts with understanding and implementing the right business model and preparing companies to raise the right kind of money at the right time. This information is what entrepreneurs need. It's also what lenders and investors need. This podcast series is one dimension of Edible Alpha. In it, we will be interviewing a wide range of stakeholders, including entrepreneurs, lenders, investors, and service providers. Each of these podcasts will showcase elements required to build and fund profitable food businesses. Okay. Hey, Bill. Thanks for coming today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I, um, I wanted you to come to, um, to talk today about your business because you're one of the few um, local food businesses that I know that has um, succeeded in developing a profitable business that is really, truly local. Um, and I think a lot of people want to do that, and it's really unusual that somebody has actually made that work. So um, so I'm really excited that you're here today and um, willing to share some of your story with people. Yeah, thanks. So the way uh, to get started, why don't you talk about your, your business, how you got started, what you did before, that whole story. Sure. So my business is Creme de la Coulis Artisan Cheese. Uh, I specialize in traditional French-style soft-ripened cheeses. Uh, and I'm in Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. And, you know, Wisconsin, of course, is the dairy state, but um, there's not a lot of cheesemakers in Wisconsin that even attempt to produce uh, French-style soft-ripened cheese. We're very much a cheddar state, um, cheddar and Colby and other types of commodity cheese. Um, and I got my background in cheese. I actually started as a cheesemonger at Fromagination. It's a high-end store on the square. And from there, I went and did a cheesemaker's apprenticeship under Willie Lehner at Bluemont Dairy in Blue Mounds, Wisconsin. Uh, and Willie is known because he um, ages this famous uh, bandaged cheddar. It's a cave-aged cheddar in his uh, underground cheese cave and his property in Blue Mounds. So, uh, you know, I've, I finished my cheesemaker's apprenticeship, and, you know, I didn't really have any money to invest in the business, so the only way for me to really get started was to find a way to crowdsource, if you will, uh, through a Cheese of the Month club, and that was uh, something I started in late 2012. And the idea was, you know, people sign up for a year subscription, and they get two different cheeses each month. I sometimes include cheeses from other cheesemakers like Willie and like Uplands Cheese that makes Pleasant Ridge Reserve and other local artisan cheesemakers. And this was really a way to, to help me finance the business from the beginning because I didn't have any of my own money to put into it. So um, the direct marketing uh, for me has always just been kind of out of necessity. It's been something I've done because that's where I can get you know, the financing basically is by going straight to the consumers. Mm -hmm. And at, at the small scale that I'm at, that's just kind of what becomes necessary. Sure. And how do, you, how do people find you? How do you find people? Well, my main 
venue for sales is farmers markets. Mm-hmm. So I sell at uh, this last year. I did four different markets each week. So that's a lot of work, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that just goes into doing markets. Um, and I think that being in Wisconsin is kind of, it, it's a double-edged sword. Like I say, there's really no one else in the state that makes this kind of cheese. So a lot of it I've had to, like, kind of forge my own path as far as the cheese making goes. But it also means, you know, I have kind of at my fingertips this entire dairy processing infrastructure that's um, it's maybe not necessarily geared towards making this kind of cheese, but that I can at least rely on in some capacity so I don't have to run a dairy plant. I don't have to, you know, I don't need all the overhead costs of building out a cheese manufacturing facility. I can just rent space in existing facilities. Right. And that would be really hard to do in other parts of the country, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, you age your cheese too, correct? Yeah, it all gets cave aged. Um, for a while I was using a co-packer in Richland County called Bear Valley Affinage, but I recently... Moved all of my aging to Willie's Cave in Blue Mountains, Bluemont Dairy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And tell people, because everybody won't know what happens to cheese when it ages. Um, mm. You know, we're used to thinking about aging cheese going bad in our refrigerator, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, the traditional Wisconsin aged cheddars, they are aged in cryovac. And, I mean, they, the, that kind of cheese definitely improves with age. Um, if you have a, a skilled cheesemaker that knows what they're doing with the aging. But it's a pretty low-maintenance cheese, the, the, you know, just the traditional Wisconsin yellow cheddars. Um, the kind of cheese I make is a lot more involved process with aging it in a cave-like environment. Um, and I'm developing a rind on the cheese, which often includes, you know, certain cultures that I'm developing, yeasts and bacterial cultures and mold cultures. Like, you know, you think of a brie that has a white rind that's a yeast and mold culture. And by doing that, I'm adding a lot of flavor, complexity to the cheese, and also um, ripening it. It adds a lot of value to the cheese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so from a financial point of view, it's adding a lot of value. It's also taking a lot of time, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What what I find interesting is since what you do requires so much knowledge about product, it is really interesting to me that when we started this interview, you started talking about selling direct because of the money. And that is, I'm convinced that part of the reason people are successful in business is because they think about money in their business and their product is is a part of it and it's a way to get to the money in a way. Um, but it's not typical for, for most of the entrepreneurs that I see that they start with a business model. So that's an impressive thing. So do you think your, um, is it your product that makes you defensively unique or is it, do you think it's the combination of your product and how you go to market? Well, in Wisconsin, I think my product does make me unique because there, like I say, there's no one else that really specializes in this kind of cheese making in the state. Um, that being said, you know, you go to a place like Vermont and it's quite a bit more common than it is here. Um, so I think it's the combination of the product and yeah. the way I go to market. Yeah. How big do you, do you want to be? Or are, are you happy being a local business this way? Or what are you, what are you thinking about that? Well, I've started to expand out, outside of the local market a little bit. Um, I'm shipping cheese to a couple different people outside of the state now. It's still pretty 
Limited. I have a relationship with a cheese shop in Des Moines. Mm -hmm. And a few Cheese of the Month Club members that are now located out of state. Um, How do you ship to them? um, I ship in insulated boxes with ice packs. And I don't ship during the warm months. So basically like mid-May through mid-September, I just... I have a blackout <laughs> with shipping. Right. I don't ship. Right. So. Right. That makes sense. And mm. and do you sell wholesale at all? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so far, it's, like I say, pretty much entirely local with the exception of this one cheese shop in Des Moines. Are you shipping direct to them? Yep. I just go direct. But, yeah, I've developed relationships with a lot of, like, local chefs. So that's that was a huge part of my business, especially in, in the beginning, um, was just going around to restaurants with – samples of my cheese and letting these different chefs taste it. And that was gotten to a point where I have, you know, these longstanding relationships with different restaurants. And it's kind of interesting because as some of these chefs have moved on from one restaurant to another, they actually call me from their new mm-hmm. restaurant. <laughs> so I suddenly have a new customer. That's wonderful. Because the chefs know me. Do they use it in, how are they using it in the restaurants? They usually use it on cheese boards. Mm-hmm. Um, like cheese, cheese and charcuterie boards. Uh, some some of them will prepare dishes with it. Like I've seen Tori Miller at like twelve, you know, use some of my cheese in some different dishes that mm-hmm. he prepares. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. And it sounds like it tends to be the really high end restaurants that are using your cheese. Yeah, generally. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And do you um, do you you don't sell through any distributors at all, right? Um, there is one distributor I have just started working with a little bit. They've helped me get some cheese into Milwaukee, but Mm -hmm. it represents right now a pretty small fraction of my business. Mm -hmm. When you go into a distributor, um, I think it changes your business a lot because you're selling at lower prices, right? Because you're selling through distribution. Um, and, and then they want typically larger volume, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. So how does have, what have you been thinking about with that in your business? Well, I've kind of always wanted to scale up, but the more I've done it, the more I've seen just like how many systemic barriers there are to that. Mm-hmm. I guess the reason I haven't really gone like full out into whole-scale distribution is just it's a completely practical reason just because I don't have the production volume to justify mm-hmm. it. Um, like I say, there's not really anyone else in the state that makes this kind of cheese and the, the existing infrastructure is not really set up to, to make it. So I'm, I'm, you know, spending a lot of time doing workarounds and like trying to get this cheese just, just perfect, just the way I want it. And it's always kind of a challenge because I'm always having curveballs thrown at me because of the way the industry is set up. So how much do you think it would cost you? So there are kind of two pieces to, to what you could do. If you're going to have infrastructure, of your own, one would be one path would be that you keep using other cheese plants and you have your own aging facility. Mm-hmm. Um, how much do you think that would cost? Because um, I want, and I'm asking that just because I, I don't think people have a good grasp of how much the infrastructure actually costs to have a business like this. So I think it's helpful to people. Yeah, my my guess for just the aging facility would probably be somewhere in the range of a quarter million. Mm-hmm. dollars to build that out. That's a really ballpark estimate. Of course. But it involves air handling and moisture handling and surfaces and, right, drains, all yeah, kinds of things like that. it has to be sanitary. You have to have, the right, you know, for aging cheese in a cave, you have to have really 
good control over your humidity mm-hmm. and airflow and temperature. Mm-hmm. Right. So it isn't just like rescuing a restaurant refrigerator walk-in <laughs> cooler. No. That, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's one one thing. Another path might be that you have that and you also have your own cheese plant. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to do add on a cheese plant, how much more would that be? Um, I don't know. I'm guessing then you're talking somewhere in the ballpark of a million dollars at least to mm-hmm. get started. Yeah, that that does not surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a lot of regulatory stuff about a facility like that. Oh, yeah, and especially in Wisconsin for good reason. I mean, it, it's... It's a big industry. They, you know, they want to make sure everything's done right and there's not problems. <laughs> so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you work with milk from multiple farms or one farm or what do you do with your milk? Um, it just kind of depends what I can get my hands on. Uh, you know, f- two years ago and, and last year I was using pasture land co-op milk and that was, I think, three or four farms and local co-op um, that were pasture-based farms. Um, so how does pastured milk differ from non-pastured milk? Uh, so Other the, than the cows are on pasture. Yeah, so when the cows are, yeah. eating, are eating fresh grass during the grazing season, there's a lot more color and flavor to the milk. It, it's yellower hue. Um, it, yeah, it's just, it's just a richer flavor. It has a lot more complexity to it. Um, I think the best cheeses are usually made with milk during the grazing season when the cows are on pasture, and the way and the amount of pasture, you know, varies depending on the farm's practices. And I find that generally farms that are really emphasizing grazing, that you know, where eighty percent or more of the cow's diet is coming from pasture during the grazing season, those are the ones that have the best milk. Um, unfortunately, like it's you can't just like find that milk anywhere, you really have to seek it out. Even, for example, cert- a lot of certified organic milk isn't quite as quite up to those standards. Um, I found that, you know, it's really important to find a farm. that They don't even need to be certified organic, but they just need to really be serious about grazing. Mm-hmm. So when, before I did Tara's Way, I ran a pretty big cheese plant, and my cheesemakers... Um, always hated the spring. So we made 20 million pounds of cheese a year, mm-hmm. and they always hated the spring milk because it made their recipes funky. <laughs> so it's funny because what you're describing is you actually like the funkiness of the milk. For them, that was an obstacle, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're trying to make something that's totally consistent year-round that never changes, then I can see how that might be difficult. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it takes us a lot of knowledge uh, to make great tasting cheese out of milk that is pastured and fresh. Yeah, it definitely makes it more difficult to make it really consistent. There's more natural variation in the milk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so so you your cheese, part of why your business model works is you have these highly artful cheeses that aren't necessarily the same every time the consumer buys it, right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. And that's why it's so important that I have a direct relationship with the consumers because of that, you know, that they need to know that this is an artisanal product. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not, you know, mass produced. So it's not going to be completely consistent 
so um, what's what's been difficult about growing your business? Um, I mean, the most difficult thing is is having the money on hand to to finance an inventory that has to age. I mean, I make cheese and then I will sit on it from you know anywhere from a few months to over a year. So there's <clears throat> there's a lot of money that gets tied up in just the aging process. Right. So um, when I when I ran, I used to run a, a company called White Clover Dairy, and we made Gouda, um, mm-hmm. Gouda and Edom, and we made these five pound Gouda balls that that were like little cannonballs that were covered with wax. And mm-hmm. um, I remember people telling me that the reason that that shape, that cheese was made in that shape, was the Dutch could load it on ships easier mm-hmm. um, and, and Gouda ages, right? So you would o- l- roll these things onto ships. This, we're talking, you know, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they would ship the cheese to other parts of the world that way. And then a lot of it in South America and the Caribbean. And then fast forward to an era where there are a lot of um, regime change in that part of the world. People would make Gouda cheese and um, put it on in containers now on ships and ship it out of the United States as a waste to move money out of the country. Like, you know, you're in under this dictatorship and you want your you want your money to go out of the country in dollars and there are restrictions on it. So they would buy cheese and ship it out of the country and and sell it for dollars outside of the country. Mm-hmm. And the the reason I say that is because of this aging capacity of cheese, it's always been tied up with money like for hundreds of years. So mm-hmm. so it's tied up with money because you need the money. It's also a vehicle for moving money from one place to the other. It's a very crazy thing about cheese. Yeah, I mean, in France, like, that's often, in Italy, that's often the case. I know the Italians, when they had this, um, they had uh, some financial crisis a couple years ago, they ended up using Parmesan as a way to, like, to convince the banks to send their loans. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah, because Parmesan, so the standard for Parmesan is, it's not Parmesan unless it ages two years, right? I think it's two years. Uh, you, you know, I don't remember offhand, what, but I think that's, it's somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, it's about two years. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and the other thing about, about Parmesan is um, during that aging process, it, it is common that um, it might change ownership three times. Yeah that's, yeah, that's yeah, probably a normal thing, I would imagine. Yeah, because mm-hmm. people run out of money for, for, you know, like, I can't hold this inventory anymore. I need some cash. So they sell it to somebody else who holds it for a while, and then it, and it may get just sold back to the original cheesemaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I didn't hear that about Italy and the financial crisis. That's, that's great. My understanding is that you're, um, you're, it's your brother who's developing a mechanism to do some of that for you, right? Yeah, we're kind of in the beginning stages of working on a, f- a financial model where investors can, um, you know, buy a batch of cheese before, you know, when it's first made, and then as it ages, it, it gains value, and then eventually I would... Purchase, <clears throat> excuse me, purchase it back from them at an appreciated rate, and then I would go and market it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's that's what they've done in Italy with Parmesan forever, and actually in the United States that happens sometimes too. So yeah. 
it, it's one of those um, it's one of those things that has been available to larger companies, but it has been a problem for small companies like yours, and it becomes a real financial o- obstacle for you to mm-hmm. grow your business without a solution like that. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think is next for your company? What do you, where are you going? Um, at this point, it's a little hard to say. Um, my <clears throat> largest co-packer that I've been working with, the cheese plant, uh, that have, I've been making cheese at, with for now two years, uh, they're kind of reaching their production capacity. They don't have a lot of extra room for expansion. So that's kind of a, a limit on the ability of, for me to really grow my production volume, um, you know, we should. There's, there's also this obstacle in growing about vat size. Maybe mm-hmm. you can talk about that too. Like, you know, you can't just, you can't. Making cheese isn't like making software, right? That it's in, incrementally scalable, mm-hmm. right? Because of vat size. So. Yeah. It, you can't make two pounds of cheese at a time, right? What is your minimum um, usually? Yeah. So I mean. I, I would say my minimum vat size is around 4,000 pounds of milk. Like, I guess when I first started the company, I was working with around 1,500 to 2,000, but now I'm to the point where um, my typical vat size, at least for the washed rind cheese, I make this Munster. It's based on an Alsatian Munster. Um, it, it's around 10,000 pounds of milk at a time, although that is, with the cheese factory I'm working with, is potentially scalable up to 15,000. Um and for the benefit of listeners, how many pounds of cheese is that? So for a soft cheese, you get around 11 to 12% yield. For a hard cheese like cheddar, you get around 10%. So um, I guess for 10,000 pounds of milk with a soft cheese, I get around 1,100 pounds mm-hmm. approximately. Yeah. And how how long does that last in terms of sales for you? That's usually, f- you know, for one variety of cheese, that's about six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so this this um, relationship between volume and sales and how that's the size of a vat, so you can't do like half a vat. You know what I mean? There right. there there are real limitations um, when you when you're manufacturing a food product. This mm-hmm. is often the case, right? Minimum mm-hmm. run sizes and yeah. yeah. How do you package your products? Um, so. When the cheese is first made, it's cryovac at the cheese factory, and cryovac is plastic. Yeah, it's plastic seal. So that, but that's before I have actually gone through the aging process, and that's just how the cheese is stored and before it goes into the cave. Now, once I start off finage, it's a very different story because I've developed these. Uh, you know, I'm developing these these yeast and bacterial cultures in the rind of the cheese, and those are aerobic cultures. They need to breathe, so you can't. You can't plastic seal that. It it get it gets wrapped in this um, breathable freezer paper, um, and that's how it gets packaged for final sale. Mm-hmm. So you don't, and I think I'm trying to remember. You package in white paper, right? Yeah, butcher it's paper. A, it's like a white butcher paper. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right. Because that packaging is another place where scale ends up being. Um, operative for lots of food companies, right? You can't, you do these package, you buy packaging equipment and, you know, the minimum is 250,000 units of something and so, mm-hmm. or whatever. So it, it becomes another source of of scalability problems. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you went through a, an accelerator um, recently um, that it was um, was um, probably. I think it's fair to say it, it came out of the tech world, right? Um, that seemed to be the, where they had more expertise. Yeah, yeah. they worked with. They said they'd worked with food companies before, but they definitely had a lot more expertise in tech startups. Yeah. Did you get a sense of how it might be different to start having been in that environment? How how it might be different for a tech startup to get started as opposed to what you're doing? Yeah, it's it's very different. I mean, the tech world, it's it's a lot of it's about ideas and it's about, you know, it's about like, you know, social media and you know, things like that where with what I do, it's a lot more concrete. It's like, you know, this is how I make this product. I have to know these different specifications and you know, cheese making technology and cheese making cultures and the process, all that. Right, so you had to you had to learn for a long time before you could make cheese like this. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I had to do an apprenticeship with Willie, and then it took a while to develop these recipes too. Like there was a lot of trial and error in the beginning. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then go to market is different too, right? How you sell is really different than tech. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I'm like I say, I'm selling mostly locally, so I just have you know these direct relationships and really it's, it's really, it's just a lot of work just to sell the cheese. Sure. Are you doing a lot of social media kind of promotions or I, I do some do you find that it's useful or yeah, I do some, uh, it, it does seem, you know, I've got like an email list and, um, I, I'm now starting to sell through my website to ship out of state, but it, I'd say it's still kind of a minor part of the business. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, I when I interviewed Bartlett Durand here, um, um, he talked a lot about personal relationships and actually mentioned you and your cheese because he apparently is one of your Cheese of the Month Club members. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but he said that they're, they're part of this, um, he finds, is the, um, the consumer looking for personal relationships with the people who make their food. Mm -hmm. And is, do you feel like that's true for your business? Yeah, I think so, especially with farmer's market shoppers. There's a lot of that where they want to know the person that makes their cheese, mm -hmm. their food, farmer that grows their produce, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Do do people who um, meet you at a farmer's market sign up for the Cheese of the Month Club? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I love promotions that you actually are making money while you're promoting instead of promotions that involve paying somebody <laughs> while you're <laughs> promoting. Yeah. yeah. If you were to do this over again... Start over a tabula rasa. What would you do differently? Uh, um, I I don't know. I mean, it's there's definitely like certain cheese, uh, you know, knowledge of how to make the cheese and other things that I've I've really gained along the way. If I didn't have any of that, I don't. It'd, it'd be hard to say. But I I know that like there's certain. You know, certain cheese factory setups that I, <clears throat> I now know are preferable to others for the type of cheese I'm making. I didn't know that when I started, so I probably wouldn't have wasted as much time trying to <laughs> work in, you know, work mm -hmm. through cheddar plants as opposed to, like, plants that make mostly fresh cheeses. <laughs> you know, knowing what I know now, I, it would be a lot faster to get to the point I am, but it's still, it was, 
a learning process to get here. So. Oh, of course. It always is. Yeah. 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 It is also really, how to say this, I don't think people realize how hard it is to start a uh to start a business, I have this um, I have this thought that our observation is that we've sort of glorified entrepreneurship to the point where it's like this dream of independence and somehow you know no bosses and I, d I don't know like you're gonna hit it you're gonna hit it out of the park and make a million dollars or make a gazillion dollars it's not a million isn't even a lot of money anymore you know and that that kind of myth of the entrepreneur and um in the world that I operate in I don't know anybody like that you know like what is your day what is your life like as an entrepreneur yeah I mean it's like I'm constantly trying to find a way to make the business work, it's it's a challenge because, like I say, this Wisconsin dairy industry is not set up for making the kind of cheese I make, so I'm constantly having to deal with, like, all of these curveballs and, like, you know, I don't have a consistent milk source. I don't have um, really a, a scalable... Um, a scalable with with within, within the current infrastructure, I don't have a scalable product. I mean, I have to, you know, constantly be problem solving to make it work. Um, like I say, this cheese factory I'm working with now, they're they're up against their production capacity with all of their other customers, and so like, it's inconvenient for them yeah, to shut things down and bring in your special milk, right? I mean, it isn't, mm -hmm. you know, like people don't understand why why can't a plant just bring in somebody else, and it's actually difficult for a plant to yeah. do that. Yeah. 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 So scalability, scalability has been a, a difficult thing for you. Um, can you imagine being in another state? I mean... The way my business is structured, I don't think it would work in any other state. Mm -hmm. I mean, Wisconsin, because of our infrastructure works. There are other, you know, there are places in other states that make this kind of cheese, but they are mostly farmstead and they're kind of like self-contained mm -hmm. production. Mm-hmm. Have you so, ever thought about that? Uh, yeah, I've thought about farmstead production. Um, I mean, there's some really amazing farmstead cheeses that are made, you know, both in Wisconsin and, and you know, in other places in the U.S., but I guess for me it's just a question of do I want to be, like, tied to a farm 24-7, mm -hmm. and no, I don't really want to... <laughs> milk cows? Yeah, I, I, I just, I, yeah, I don't really want to milk cows. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's it's a it's a challenge. Yeah. So so what do you do to keep your head together while you're growing your business? Uh, I'm a musician on the side. You are. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I play with some different bands and. What it, what instrument do you play? Uh, mostly piano and keyboard. I also play guitar, but there's uh... a, there's a lot of guitarists out there, so I end up. Piano's my first instrument. Ah, okay. So yeah. you're playing the piano these days. Yeah, I've been playing for for years, like since I was, I think, in third grade. I, that's when I started piano. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the 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 reason that I I'm interested in this is that I think that I'd say to everybody, um, because they're uh, being an entrepreneur is probably the most stressful thing you will ever do in your life. Um, you have to come up with your own solution for managing your own stress. And um, I didn't know you were a musician. That's fantastic. So that's your way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful.
Uh-huh. Are you doing any shipping for Christmas? Do you want to say anything oh, about yeah. that? Oh, yeah. So my website has gift baskets available and subscriptions to my Cheese of the Month Club. You can sign up for it anywhere in the uh, lower 48 continental states. Or you can just have cheese shipped to you any time of the year except uh, when it's warm out. Website address is www.cremedelacoulis.com. That's C-R-E-M-E-D-E-L-A-C-O-U-L-E-E.com. Well, it's been terrific to have you here. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks, Tara. Yep. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Edible Alpha podcast. If you like what you heard, rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Visit edible-alpha.org for more resources about the best practices in making money in food. 